I enjoy a challenge. I want to be the best version. I could have stayed in a mining community and be a PE teacher and had a nice life, married a nice Welsh girl and all those things. Beautiful. But don't. I want to test test myself on every little one. That's nothing against Welsh, Welsh girls, by the way. Welcome back, everybody, to the Wrong Foot Podcast. Joe and I back again uh, to, to recap. A uh, bit of a change of kind of the wind direction here at the top of the table uh, in the last couple of games. Joe, how are you doing tonight? Oh, Richard, what a difference 10 days make, right? <laughs> well, some, someone may have said that Arsenal were looking a bit one-dimensional, and you you, you went to bat for this Arsenal team against your gut, against your uh, your better judgment as a Tottenham fan. You went and you went to bat for this Arsenal team, and I don't know if they've proved you right these last couple of games, but we will get into that. Don't forget to hit subscribe wherever you're listening to this. Follow us on Twitter at WrongFootPod. Check out our website, wrongfootpodcast.com. Uh, Joe, my brother did send me. It's handwritten, so I'm still trying to decipher some of his handwriting. Uh, <laughs> his 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 rankings of, or him and his friends' rankings of best looking managers. I don't want to spoil too much, but somehow Eric Ten Hag came in third place. So look out for that. I will post the full rankings. I don't know how that happened. Apparently, they judge it on the official Premier League like headshots that they upload, and apparently, it's very flattering him uh, for him. So. Yeah, I'll post that. Joe, if anyone wants to get in contact and they want to send us an email, how can he do that? The wrong foot podcast at gmail.com. That is the wrong foot podcast at gmail.com. And I know a friend of the podcast, Olin, did text me a minute ago saying he's just sent an email. So maybe we'll quickly look at that before the end so we can see what he has to say. Yes, he, he brilliantly sent us his uh, loser of the month. <laughs> not just not just the week, the loser of the month, and he has the winner of a week. So, okay, you know, perfect. we will. Oh, uh, you know, <laughs> we'll dive into probably that due to West end. Brom's uh, due to West Brom's lack of form of late, he's probably a little bit negative. So <laughs> that's why we have a loser of the month and a winner of just a week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, we will. Uh, let's dive into these games. So I think we just start from you know the game we've all seen tonight uh, or this afternoon, Man City going to the Emirates. Coming out, 3-1 winners. Second game in the last couple that they've won, 3-1. Uh, good game, this, I thought. But I think Arsenal, like I say, I th- my fears of them not having a plan B, I think, kind of showed up again tonight. Um, what were your thoughts generally on the game and, and how the two teams performed? Yeah, so I think first we need to kind of rewind the clock a little bit to 10 days ago. Uh, we had just, you know, the last podcast I talked about how, you know, Arsenal Everton, it was a bad spot. Arsenal went to, you know, Goodison with Sean Dyche, a new defensive emphasis that Everton had. The, you know, the Goodison faithful were on top of them. I just thought it was a terrible spot, and I wasn't overly pessimistic about Arsenal's form. Right, <laughs> so <laughs> we go to the weekend on sa- on uh, Saturday lunchtime kickoff. Uh, actually, not lunchtime, three o'clock. So. Uh, what is that called? Three o'clock kickoff? Just normal kickoff? Oh, I don't man. know. That's your standard traditional Sunday afternoon <laughs> yes. or Saturday afternoon kickoff. Yes. yes. Um, and then what happens? Uh, Arsenal draw against Brentford, and so there, as we talk about, there are so many different kinds of draws, right? You know, there are draws when you get lucky, there are draws when you dominate and you just can't score, and there's you know if you get a red card, you know, there's everything in between, right? You come, you score a late winner, you know against the top side it could be good uh, i'm sure arsenal would have taken a draw today against man city but when you're playing brentford at home that's not a good result and i think you know olin mentions it in an email he sent in he talks about the two b's right brentford and brighton and these two kind of smaller 
uh, very smart, shrewd clubs that typically have to buy you know more prospects and then sell high because they can't afford the players at the wages. Right. Brentford's obviously having a tremendous season. And, you know, under Thomas Frank, who I think should be in every conversation for manager of the year. And the major issue in this game was not that, you know, Brentford, you know, dropping a point to, to Brentford, right? It's not good, obviously, to drop a point to Brentford, two points at home to Brentford. But the, the bigger issue I had is is Brentford really were the more dominant side, right. Um especially in the first half they had so many opportunities that they just they couldn't finish it that'll be a theme i think quite a few times during this pod tonight but you know if you just look at xg right xg usually favors the side that has the greater possession in arsenal versus brentford arsenal had almost 70 percent possession and yet brentford had 0.7 more xg right? right so that's telling you brentford with you know 30% 30% of the possession was doing more than Arsenal was doing with the 70%. And I think it was just a, you know, very dynamic. Um, they were very smart on the counterattack and, you know, we can get, get into the VAR, but that, that performance was a real tone center to me. And you couple that with how city looked against Villa, where it was just more of a traditional city performance where they just kind of smothered Villa. Uh, <laughs> and, and, and it was just like, Villa had almost, you know, Villa scored a late goal in the second half, but there really wasn't, there was never a threat. Man City just kind of stomped on them, and it was kind of like a traditional performance. So that kind of obviously heightened expectations for this game. So um, I think going into this game, Man City was kind of on an upswing, and Arsenal was on a downswing. So um, I, I just, what were your thoughts about that Arsenal performance against Brentford? Because I think it's important to talk about that in context before we, we get into this Arsenal-Man City game. Yeah, I think, like... A lot we talked about the Everton defeat was, you know, it was probably the worst time of the season that you could play Everton at, like, at Goodison, right? Like, they just had the new manager. Yep. Everyone was up for it. Like, we talked about that. So, I think, coming off the back of that, you're going back home. Brentford, obviously, an informed team, but if you're going to be pushing for the title, that's something you've got to take care of business. And like you say, I think if you watched it without, like, the different kits and the different player names. And, like, you would have thought Brentford were a team that were pushing for the title, like, the way they were playing. Like, they just looked more... Uh, yes, they would obviously dominate in possession. You mentioned that. But, like, they just looked crisp and just, like, sharp and as if, like, yes. they could score at any time. And they took... They had very few chances. They have two shots on target. They obviously get one goal out of that. Um, Arsenal, 23 shots, but only seven on target. Like, that's not, it's not like they were knocking on the door, right? Like, uh, they... It, it just was... Yeah, I think it just kind of rolled over from that Everton game and there wasn't the same excuses of, oh, it was just like, you know, it was just a melting pot at Goodison in that game. And it was just like most teams were going to go there and lose just based on everything that was around that game. Um, Whereas this, it was like, no, there was no spark. You, You expected them to come back. Like you look at Man City, when they have bad results, you kind of dread being the next team to face them because you're like, well, they're going to put five or six on us because they're just going to be in kind of like comeback mode. And it just didn't happen from Arsenal. And I think it was kind of then spilled in, into the City game as well. And it's kind of three games in in a week and a bit. And it's just been kind of concerning uh, if, if you're looking to kind of be pushing for the title. And I think in both games, not to kind of bang on the same drum, but what is their plan B, right? Like when they bring off players 
from the bench like it doesn't really change much it's a lot of the time it's a like-for-like substitution right like you're not bringing in someone to switch up the formation or change up the midfield to try and change the shape of the game you're just kind of bringing on slightly fresher legs but continuing the same game plan and I think that's kind of concerning and it's it's things I've said about Liverpool in the past like that's always been one of their downfalls is there's there's no plan b if it's not going right you kind of think they just got to kind of knock at the door as many times they can to find the goal yeah, and so getting into the Man City game, the one thing I want to say, because I'm sure there are Gunnar fans that are like, you know, balking because we haven't uh, mentioned the the uh, the Brentford goal that should not have counted. So <laughs> this is an issue of VAR just royally screwing up, and it's point blank that they just messed up. So essentially, the VAR was so focused on Ivan Tony and a potential foul in the buildup they didn't just forget about one. They forgot about two Brentford, uh, Brentford offsides during the play. One on the first ball and then one, um, you know, on the, basically the last ball of the possession before Tony scored um, with, a def- with a, I forget who, but a Brentford player clearly offside. And so that goal was, you know, wrongfully given to Brentford. It should have been chopped off by Barr. So I think Arsenal fans are like, oh, we should have been two points, you know, even if it was in a great performance, whatever, we should have had the two points. And I understand that, but it's still, the performance was was so poor in the sense where Brentford were just a better side that I, I completely understand you moaning about the two points. You should have you, you should have won that game if Barr did their job. But right. at the same time, the underlying performance wasn't good enough. So now... We go into this Man City game, right? Well, and just on that, before yep. we do, like I think it's very similar to what we talked about with the the Manchester derby, right? And obviously the whole controversy around Fernandez being offside, or like Gary Rashford being offside, and not touching the ball. Sorry, and like, yes, that's true, but like, that's not your only chance to win the game, right? Like, it, right. if you if you're two three goals up it doesn't matter if you have these these one goals that, that shape the game and it's not, I'm not, that's not to justify it and say it's right but it's like moaning about that like no be two nil up already against Brentford at home and you don't need to worry about that sorry just wanted to throw that in there no absolutely absolutely I agree um so now we transition to this game right the biggest game of the season one versus two Arsenal's at home you, I, I think, you know, against Everton, I was questioning if it was a wobble. I said it was a little against Brentford. That was a wobble. And then today was a big, big, big wobble, right? <laughs> um, you know, this is a game at the Ithiad, uh Excuse me, at the Emirates, not the Ethiad. Uh, so they're playing at the Emirates. This is a home game for Arsenal. Worst case, they need a draw, right? Even, the, even, even that, you know, obviously they lose this game 3-1. But, and, you know, even though they have a game in hand, they really needed at least a draw in this game to keep themselves just slightly ahead of city. They still obviously have to go to the Athiad in a couple of weeks time. And I just think, you know, off the Everton loss and off the Brentford draw and, and not just, you know, those two results, but the way they played in those two games, I thought this game was critical for Arsenal, not even necessarily to win, just to get a point, keep city at bay, keep the momentum down. We know how city can, can go on these tears. Don't feed into that. Right now, you know, we talked about it, you know, Pep was moaning. They had no shot of winning the premier league. Well, even if these, they thought that the freaking tied <laughs> the premier league title. So obviously that, you know, isn't, you know, the thought process. And in, in this particular game, I thought it was really a tale of two halves. I thought in the first half, Arsenal were, were the far better team. Didn't really take advantage of it and went into half 1-1. And then in the second half, I think it was all City and the scoreline showed that. So 
What were your thoughts on the first half? Obviously, we have to get into the Tamiyasu era <laughs> and the penalty decision. But uh, just you know, what were your you know what are your major talking points on this first half? Yeah, I think as as someone who watched Steven Gerrard literally fall over and give away the Premier League title as he slipped at Denver Bar, then goes on to score like this. This kind of echoes of that with what Tomiyasu did. Like one, I don't know, like what he's really trying to do with his back pass. Like I guess if it's a little bit more powerful, it, it makes it back to Ramsdale to clear it. But like if in doubt, just put into touch. Like the, the, I think it was Grealish. He was just behind him, put on good pressure on him to make yep. him do something. Um, so hats off with Grealish for kind of forcing him to play the ball. But like just a weak pass. And, and like you say, I feel like kind of Haaland had a couple of half chances, but that was really it. And like you say, I think Arsenal um, kind of, they were feeding off the energy of the crowd. The crowd was definitely up for this um, right from the first whistle. And it, it really kind of, almost deflate like it takes that energy out right like people always say that right like if you're in one of these good atmospheres the best thing to do is take the crowd out of it and, and man city did that and it was through a gift and no kind of to discredit what de bruyne did with the finish like it was a lovely finish but uh, yeah tommy Asso just in, it is a game of margins i know that's cliche to say but like just anywhere but just literally playing a guy through one-on-one with your keeper is <laughs> is better than that and right. then the penalty the penalty, I think, I remember in the World Cup, we saw one of these. Was it the World Cup final? Was one of, this one of the penalties that was in the final? I can't remember where. Like, Yeah, I think it was, because I think it was Alvarez played it through and like was never going to get the ball, but the keeper touches him. Yes, yes. So they yes, give yes, the penalty, yes. right? Like, it was the exact same yeah. thing. Like, um, It was in Ketia, I think it was. Basically put it through. Ake cleans it, clears it off the line, but just after the shot, I guess, Emerson touched him a little, like, basically not no, he him did. Over. he made contact yep but but like yeah i i find it hard to give those a penalty the ref fair play to the ref he was like i'm giving this as a penalty like it wasn't a var tons of discussion him going over to the monitor or anything like that he saw it he gave the foul let's um, not give anthony taylor too much credit <laughs> but i just I, I i don't see like in case he was like he he was so far away from the play that's not to say you can't kick people but i don't think there was any like it wasn't really a, a crunching tackle or a crunching challenge. It was just kind no. of like momentum took them into each other's path, so they're gonna fall over, right? Like, right. But he made contact in the box. I, I think it's a call that has to be made. I don't know. I like <laughs> even if it was, even if anything was gonna come of it, I think it's a penalty that that you have to call, right? And I think you know, look, goalkeeping is very hard. You know, Ederson's one of the best, and it's just so many of these, you know split second decisions that you have to make and it's all about the you know the angle and the geometry of it and you know Ederson just got this wrong right you just came a little late and Enketia even though he had no shot I think he misplayed the ball um you know even before there was any contact it's just it's going to be called right and Anthony Taylor was there and he saw it um now what I want to say about the the, the first um the brain goal right and this is kind of what I think the important thing about that first goal for for Man City is I think this is kind of what we've been talking about Arsenal the whole time, right? They play this brilliant football, but we've talked about two things, right? Their squad depth. Do they have enough depth to really make a legitimate run at this title? And secondly, they've never been here before. There's a a largely younger team. Are they going to start making errors because they've never been under pressure? And Tommy Hasu just made a terrible decision there. He, you know, he tried to be a hero when just, as you said, just kicking it to the side would have been perfectly, perfectly fine. You reset your defense no harm, no foul. Instead, he tries to make this brilliant, you know, backwards pass that's just 
to the you know to um, to Odegaard, but it, you know, the, the, what was the best case scenario? There was no great scenario there, right? You're taking all this risk and like no reward, right. and what would it, 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 even if he did that against most teams, they wouldn't be punished. But Man City have someone named Kevin De Bruyne who <laughs> just needs a split second and beautifully finishes it. So um, I think Arsenal responded well to that goal, right? I mean, we got the penalty, um, so they didn't score from open play. But I think going into halftime. I didn't necessarily think I, I didn't I, I, th- I thought it was really an even game because I thought Arsenal played better in the first half, but I thought you know Pep will make some adjustments in the second half. I like Man City's options off the bench much better, so I thought going into half I thought it was a really even affair. And if I were an Arsenal fan, I really was thinking just you know can we get a point right? Can we just get a point? <clears throat> yeah, I think it was a case of like. Arsenal needed to hang on more than anything. Like you say, I think Man City have shown that they can make halftime adjustments. That's what Pep does. Um, and in the second half, I think... Uh, I just, again... Traffic. Yeah, I just think Arsenal just didn't know... I don't know whether they were sitting back purposefully or if it was... like I, I think that's a discredit to City. I think they just stepped up their game. And like you say, they've got... You list their first 11, and then you list their second 11, and that's, like, most people's first 11, right? Like, Grealish, who has not played a ton since they signed him for £100 million, is, like, now playing, and they're playing very well. Um, took his goal very nicely. Poor Tommy Asu probably has a day that he never wants to think about again because it deflected. I think Ramsdale saves that if <laughs> if it doesn't yes, deflect yep. off his leg and kind of just take it past him. But it was just such a good, quick city star move, right? Like, just to... Passing the ball, quick, intricate passing, and then you know a couple of passes across the top of the box, and, and Grealish is in space at the back post, and bang, two, two, one, and it it just didn't seem like it didn't seem like at that point. I think I I was not optimistic that Arsenal would get back into it, and I think I think it's just like part of that is just how they've been playing as a whole recently, and just kind of being deflated and kind of not really. Like I say, not to say it again, but having those options off the bench, what are they going to do? Like, it, it, it was just going to be a struggle. And Haaland, um, with a nice finish, again, intricate passing within the box, comes to Haaland, he just takes a touch, and then, you know, within a split second, he's got the shot off, and you know, no keeper's saving it, right? Yep. Yeah, and I think what we talked about the bench, right? It wasn't even the bench this game, right? Mm-hmm. Who is starting for Arsenal? Thomas Partey, just an exceptional defensive midfielder, arguably the most important person on Arsenal. He's out. They have to bring in Jorginho. Jorginho is just, he's not fast, right? He's not, right. he's just not, he's not a bad option off the bench, but he's not Thomas Partey. He's no. not a defensive, he's just, he's stuck in molasses out there, you know? He's just, <laughs> he's not the same. And I think, you know, Man City exploited that. And, you know, when we talked about the transfer in January, Arsenal did really nothing to bolster their squad besides Jorginho and Troussard, and Troussard came on. He actually scored against Brentford, and I think he's been a nice addition as, you know, an additional squad member. But Jorginho, in my opinion, is just not quality enough. And, you know, it's not an issue if um, Partey is is out. I mean, if if Partey is playing, but um, he's not. And, you know, you look at the same thing. I think I was very, you know, I praise Nkentia a lot as well, and... um, I think there were some opportunities today, especially one late, even though it was 3-1, he kind of missed. And, you know, I think you're seeing the loss of Jesus, right? Like, mm-hmm. Nketiah is a good player. 
I think, you know, I think he's a, a nice guy to have as a backup striker, but I don't think he, he's good enough to, at this point at least, to be the the star striker in a game when you need, uh, you know, you saw what Holland did, right? You saw, you know, talked about the De Bruyne goal. We saw what Holland did. You mentioned it, you know, that quick strike. Yeah. Even Jack Grealish, we don't like. He's still, <laughs> he's still a quality player, and that's just the difference in these two squads, right? Arsenal were playing great football. They were playing fun. They were everything was was pitching in. It looked beautiful. But Man City has just the the artillery that Arsenal just does not have at this time. Yeah, and I think that like the the difference here was you think of the De Bruyne goal. Like obviously it was a mistake by Tommy Asu, but like De Bruyne still had to score from forty yards out, right? Like and he picks it in. Like he he gets it past Ramsdale, lofts it over him, and and tucks it in by the post, right? Like. And those are going to be the differences. You, they, that was their only chance, real chance of the first half, and they took it, right? They score, and that's yep. that's when you win titles is when you can be that clinical, right? The same with the Harlan goal, like one quick touch, bang, goal. Like you don't, it's the Premier League. You don't have a million touches in the box um, and, and things like that. And there was one, I think. I think it was the first half, like, Saka had some time in the box, and he just kept taking touches, and it's like, at the end of the day, you got to shoot. Like, <laughs> you can't just keep taking touches, and the more touches you take, the more time you're giving for defences to get behind the ball, and, and, and I think they just kind of smothered it out eventually. But it was kind of like a nice move by Arsenal, but, like, they don't have that just clinical only needs half a second and the ball's going to be in the back of the net and you know the Grealish goal was very much like you know you put Foden there and that's the goals Foden scores right coming in off that left wing and just kind of putting it past the keeper like he's done that against Liverpool a million times that's basically his carbon copy goal against Liverpool and it's like you, you don't need a ton of touches you don't need a ton of time it's just quick goals uh and that's going to be the difference in the title race at the end of the day but you know it's not all doom and gloom for Arsenal. They still have a game in no. hand. They're obviously tied uh, no. on points, so it's not. This isn't to say it's over, but like when you think of the psychology of it and what we've seen City do over the last ten years or so, like it's hard to think that they're going to drop many more points. And basically, all of the pressure is now on Arsenal to pretty much not drop any points moving forward. Yeah, I think looking ahead, I think, yeah, what you said, Arsenal just, they need to get off the mat, right? Mm-hmm. This has been a really tough, a really difficult three-game stretch, especially with the game in midweek. And, you know, that has to start at Villa, right? We just yeah. saw what City did. I know it was at home. Arsenal have to go uh, to Villa, so it's a little bit different. But, you know, the next, you know, two fixtures, right? Away at Villa, away at Leicester. Yeah. You really need six points from those two matches, even though they're both away. And then if you can just do that, right, then you have Everton home. You have Bournemouth at home. You have Fulham away. You have Crystal Palace at home. You have Leeds at home. It, you know, that's a nice, you know, seven or eight game stretch, yeah. right? You're not playing anyone. I think Fulham might be the only side that they're playing that's in the top half. Um, yeah. And the next eight, you know, before they play, you know, away at Liverpool and away at West Ham, and it gets more, it's, it certainly gets more tricky from there. But, you know, Arsenal really need to get back on the horse as quick as possible here, right? Getting the three points at Villa, getting the three points at Leicester, this is critical. And if they can just kind of right the ship in the meantime, I think they'll be all right. You know, they have Europa League fixtures, which I, th- I would expect them to really heavily rotate the squad. So. Yeah. While City's playing in the Champions League, that should be a big benefit. So I, I definitely don't think the title race is over. And of course, we have like the monkey in the room where we don't know what's going to happen with City, right? Could there be a points deduction? Um, right. Could it be even worse than that? We don't know. And at the very least, if you're Arsenal, you need to, 
even if you can't catch up to City, you need to stay ahead of United or Newcastle, whoever might catch you, because that could be for the Premier League title. Yeah, yeah, and just to touch on the the upcoming fixtures, like Arsenal, yeah, away at Villa, home to Leicester, or away at Leicester as well. Sorry, but Man City are away at Forest and away at Bournemouth, so you're going to expect yeah. them to get six points as well, right? Like it's not like City are now going to play Man United again or Newcastle or anyone like that. Like they've got games that you expect them to be winning three, four by three or four goals. So it's going to be relentless pace, and I don't think there's room for the stretch now. Arsenal of what two points over three games? That's that's right. not going to get you. But uh, do keep in mind now, City have the squad to rotate, but. They do have to play Leipzig in the um, Champions League, and they do still have FA Cup. So those are two, you know, look, they have the rotation. They've done this for the last decade. <laughs> they know how to, you know, be in multiple competitions, but those are added fixtures that Arsenal don't have to worry about. No, that's for sure. And we'll move on now. Uh, Joe, do you want to rip off the Band-Aid and, and talk about Spurs' week since the weekend? Uh Leicester 4, Spurs 1, followed by AC Milan 1, Spurs nil. How's you know, what's, your, what's your thoughts on, on Tottenham House uh, this last couple of games? So I was a little optimistic, actually. You know, I'm like, oh, you know, I, I really want the FA Cup. I'm like, you know, that competition is still there. Um, you know, the Champions League, Milan's not that great. We could probably get through that if we get an extra on the quarterfinals. Premier League, I'm just, you know, let's get the top four finish. Newcastle's dropping points left and right. The city points deduction, who knows? We we could probably, you know, we could maybe win the FA Cup and get a top four, and that's like the greatest season of the last 30 years. Right. Uh, but then you wake up and you realize you're a Tottenham supporter. So <laughs> the biggest thing is the, the injury issue. Um, Rodrigo Bentancourt is going to be out for the rest of the season. He has been the most important midfielder for Tottenham. Um, because of his injury, uh Basuma, who was there uh, summer transfer from Brighton uh, is also injured. So their midfield in the Champions League against AC Milan because Hoybjerg was suspended because of red cards was Oliver Skip and Pepe Metesar. <laughs> and they actually played pretty well, um, all things being considered. But, you know, there's just not the depth. And I think the biggest thing against in this Leicester game um, is, you know, Christian Romero, you know, the big signing for 65 million pounds two summers ago. He is integral to their defense. Without him, they just they just one less really class player. And even he he makes so many dumb yellow cards. Um and that's why he was you know, he was suspended for the game against Leicester and you know, Leicester just ripped him to shreds. You know, I thought, oh Tottenham scored the early goal. All right, you know, let's see what they can do and then Leicester just tore him to shreds. Um they scored four, it could have been five. I mean they you know, VAR took took off a goal, but um you know you know, Bentecourt actually had scored for Tottenham. It was a you know a nice goal that they had scored, but you know, Leicester just came out and just spanked them. I mean, if we're being honest, it was it was just a lethargic performance from Spurs, and it just didn't look good. And so, going into the Champions League, you know, they're down on these guys. I was just like, just get a draw against Milan. That'd be great. And look, Milan scored an early goal, but other than that, Tottenham were the better team in the first half, and then in the second half, it was just. It was just two bad teams, right? Tottenham couldn't create anything. Milan just was kind of playing defensively, just trying to hang on because they've been in such rubbish form and they've been, um, you know, dealing with injuries as well. Rafael Leao, you see the flashes, but he's just not the finished product. Um, 
you know, Milan actually almost scored a second late, uh, which would have been a real nightmare for Spurs. But, you know, all things considered, it wasn't a good performance. They lost 1-0. But in terms of the Champions League, there's no reason why they can't beat Milan at, at home. They should. Obviously, if it goes to extra time, it's anybody's game. But, you know, I think all things being considered, it wasn't a terrible performance. But my question going forward is, what is their midfield? Is is Oliver Skip or Pepe Metasar? Can they do enough? We just talked about Arsenal not having depth. Tottenham depth, especially in the midfield, is just almost gone. So what kind of answers do they have for the midfield? And then, you know, the wingbacks, um, they're kind of in a crisis there because Ryan Sessegnon's out now. So Ivan Perisic, who's 34 and can't play a lick of defense, is just like their only left, left-sided wingback. So what the hell are they going to do there? You know, it's just it's it's going to take a lot of uh a lot of tough decisions a little bit of luck and uh, you know it's not the season's not over um you know you still got to see if you can get to the quarterfinals of the champions league if you can make our fa cup run if you can get the top 4 but it's that much harder with these injuries yeah and i think uh just to give kind of Leicester some credit here they now scored 10 goals in three games um kind of bounced back from I think they lost their first four games after the World Cup. Like they kind of went on a bit of a nosedive. And they were playing well before, like good enough before to not be worried about relegation. But somehow that poor stretch, they kind of looking back. I know Madison, I think he was hurt. He didn't play a couple of games. So I think having him back was huge. Like he's obviously very creative, getting a goal, creating a goal. Um, and I think... He was very good on Saturday. Yeah, when we when we took a Leicester and like... Our concerns, I think, when we, we talked about them, they haven't been terrible defensively. They've just been more terrible in attack, and, and having Madison back kind of changes that. So I think their concerns should, if they can continue this, this decent form and definitely this goal-scoring form, um, I don't think that's sustainable, but at least getting on the, the score sheet, you're going to beat enough of the teams around you that they've, they, they're kind of trending upwards And when we look at some of these other teams. But... Yeah, we'll move on to the other team that had midweek Champions League this week, which was Chelsea. Uh, they went away to West Ham, 1-1 draw. Chelsea just seemed to be king of the draws and just uh, the, the, the kings of being part of our conversations, I guess, <laughs> as well, in terms of like what's going on with Chelsea, what Chelsea's going to show up. Um, they then lose in the Champions League, also 1-0 away from home. And in the Champions League, like with, with away goals and stuff, like 1-0 away from home, no, no, no more away goals this year. Is it not at all? I thought they just no. got rid of it like after extra time. So it nope, just doesn't matter at all. It. Well, yeah. that's even better then. 1-0, that's fine. That's all good. You didn't even get the away goal and it doesn't yeah. matter. I thought they just scrapped it for extra time. But there we go. So, yeah, it's not a terrible result. Uh, you know, it's two legs, come back and you, you get a goal and it's it's back level. But uh, what were your thoughts on the on the West Ham-Chelsea game? West Ham kind you know, of this... stringing together some some results here as well. Yeah, it was a very even game, and that's not really what you need from Chelsea. Um, <laughs> I think Fabianti made a nice, a couple of nice saves late to keep, you know, the point for West Ham. Um, you know, this 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 Chelsea team just they just you see the talent. They just they look like a team that's in in you know in in preseason. <laughs> like there's so many moving pieces. I mean, you know, draw Felix and Mudrić or Fernandez. I mean, these guys have never played. Reese James coming back from the injury. Um, you know, there's just so much going on, and you can tell there's like, there the tactics are a little off. There's no real unity. There's kind of just uh, you see signs, and I think this West Ham performance wasn't great again. Like, I think it's kind of another nail in the coffin of trying to get a top four. 
Um, and you're kind of like, what is Chelsea fighting for? Well, they still have this chance in the Champions League, right? And so if we fast forward to the Dortmund game, you know, Chelsea were the better side. They just could not finish. I mean, I think you mentioned it before the podcast. I mean, João Felix missed like five opportunities. <laughs> um, they had plenty of the ball. I think, you know, XG, I think it was over two, and they couldn't score one. Um, you know, Dortmund had their chances as well. So I, I wouldn't say Chelsea dominated, but to go into Dortmund, you know, the yellow wall, 81,000 Champions League, to go in there and to play as well as Chelsea did, that's you got to be happy about that. You know, and even though they lost 1 0, similar to Spurs, you're coming back home down a goal against a team that you're going to be favored to beat at home. So, you know, obviously the, the tie is not over. And I think Chelsea really kind of have to. I think it'd be, it's really important for Graham Potter to beat Dortmund, right? To at least say, you know, we're struggling in the league, but like at least I, I showed you I can beat another Champions League side, right? I made it to the quarterfinals at least. And I just, I just think, like, I see some signs from Chelsea, but it just, it's still a long way off. There's so much moving parts. Yeah, and I think it was just, it was another case of like, this team is just so disjointed, right? Like in both games, it's like, I know we've, we've kind of talked about City enough, but like their goals that they score are just, like everyone is just so connected to everyone else. And I think the kind of piecemeal team that Chelsea have got right now and, you know, people coming in in the summer, people coming in in January, like it, it kind of shows up. And I think that's where they lack that kind of final product because I think everyone is just kind of a split second off from everyone else and that that makes a big difference um I think I think in the league I think they're just going to plod along at this point I think they're going to focus on the Champions League but you know that that could be over in a couple of weeks now that they've lost this first leg um yeah I, I think Newcastle and we'll get onto Newcastle in a bit aren't, aren't looking great so I think that fourth spot is definitely up for grabs. Um, they're actually conceding goals now, which, which they hadn't for a while, but I, I, I don't have all the confidence in the world to say, well, that's definitely Chelsea's spot then with with how they've been playing and, and what they look like. And um, I just think West Ham just, just grind out. Like it's a typical David Moyes type performance. We've talked about possession stats in some of the other games and, you know, they were under 28, 28% I think they had of possession so you know a Chelsea side with the star power that they have some of the players they have with you know nearly three quarters of the possession can only get four shots on goal one goal and like not look very good it's kind of like well you don't even need all that possession then like, what, what's the point where are you getting and then like you say the Dortmund game it was it was kind of fun to watch like these are teams that you I expected both teams to score in this game because they are more attacking than they are defensive. Um, and I, I just don't know how Chelsea didn't score. Um, it, it was fun to watch, but it was kind of like, if Chelsea had won that game 3-1, you wouldn't have thought that was crazy, right? Like, it was just kind of, mm-hmm. it was just one of those games. But, like, at the same time, them losing 1-0 doesn't seem that crazy either because, like, they had chances, but that they have, like, it wasn't like the Dortmund keeper was standing on his head and, and kind of playing miraculously. It's just kind of more Chelsea wasting the chances they had. Um, but yeah, I think it's... Fourth spot's definitely up for grabs. Um, and and Chelsea are probably in the mix, but they need to find some consistency. And that's the same with all the teams that are kind of in and around the, the European spaces. Is The big key is, is consistency, and we're not seeing that from all the teams. No, uh, agreed. And... Uh... You know, you just got to keep uh, hoping for better days, right? 
Yeah, well, a team that's definitely going to finish in the top four, Liverpool, they're back. It's on. Two nil winners over Everton. Uh, no, this was Merseyside Derby. Merseyside <laughs> Derby. This was... game we're talking about, kind of crazy. Well, I think uh, I, I sent a message out before. Like this is the first time I've faced Everton in a long time where I thought like a draw. I'd be happy with a draw. Um, but you know, I, I think there's a bit of smoke and mirrors here. Uh, Liverpool, I thought, did actually look good. The front three of Salah, Gakpo, and uh, and Nunes actually seemed to be linking up well and kind of finally be on the same page and look dangerous. But I think all of that has to also be looked at through the lens of this is an Everton side that is struggling. Yes, they had that good result against Arsenal, but we talked about kind of how that was just a culmination of, of everything going on that just just meant that was going to happen. Um, I think if this had been at Goodison and, and they had some of that atmosphere they had in, in the Arsenal game, then could have been a bit of a different story. But um, I, it was kind of like Liverpool of old. Um, Everton's one big chance to hit the post and within what, seven seconds later, they're 1-0 down because Liverpool just, just broke on the counter-attack, the kind of goals that we saw in their title-winning season where they just kind of turned defence into attack very, very quickly. Um, our boy Jordan Pickford, we both are huge fans of this guy. I, I, I kind of question what he was doing for the first goal. I think he was trying to anticipate the goal, but basically all it meant was he ran out of the way so, so that Salah had an open goal. Um that was a choice <laughs> i guess um and even for the second goal he was kind of like in two minds of whether he should be kind of attacking out of his six yard box to come and try and break, like uh kind of intercept the, the the cross or kind of stay on his line to get back and kind of ended up in between the two and and gave an easy tap in for gapco and nice to see him score finally um after the money they spent on him and i think that hopefully that gives him some confidence but um, yeah, like I say, I think this was, and I think that was what Klopp said after the game as well. Like this actually looked like the Liverpool he knows, but I, I, I'm, I'm cautious to get too excited. I know I joked about they're definitely going to finish top four now, but um, it, it's against an Everton team that's not very good. Uh, what were your thoughts on this one? I, I want to say I, I still cannot pronounce his name. What, who's the Liverpool midfielder Bostic? How do you pronounce it? Yeah, I, I need to listen to more commentary and get it, but it's it's along that line. <laughs> All right, because you know he it's, did it's an Eastern of... European name that I I yeah, because uh, he did. I think it is Bostic. Whatever. He uh, I will learn his name. I promise. You, he's <laughs> like a quality player. Uh, yeah. I, I kind of like the signs. Obviously, it's we're kind of in the embryonic stages of his career but i did like what i saw i thought it was smart playing jordan henderson right yeah. get that defensive player and i think the biggest thing is you're not playing tiago i think has been terrible uh fabinho looked okay um you know i think what you said the two goals liverpool scored it seemed to be you know pickford on the first one uh cody on the second one i think it seemed like it was like a lot of you know just bad defending from everton and i think there's two sides of that coin, right? Deitch is a defensive coach, and he needs to continue to drill down and drill down on these players. You know, it's easier to play defense at home because even if you're getting a little leggy, you're, that crowd puts you through it. It's much harder to do it, you know, in front of the clop at Anfield. Um, and, you know, I, I just... You know, the, the biggest thing for Everton is they just have nothing going forward. Um, I mean, I want to even look at what their XG. It was 0. 0.3. Yeah, I mean, that just tells a story. <laughs> they actually had 41% possession, which surprises me. I didn't think it was going to be that high. But, yeah, they just – I can't even think of, like, a chance Everton had that was, like, a decent chance. 
Um, they just well, they hit the they, hit the post before they got from the corner, right before the goal. Like that was yes, the real that's chance. True, that's true. Yes. But like, but even Off that, like, corner, it, was, it was a right. set piece header hits right. the post. But that's how but, they're gonna have to score. I, right. At the same time, I I did forget that. But that's how they're gonna have to score because you know, a Wobie, McNeil, Sims. These are just not uh, these guys are not goal scorers. They're not. I mean, they're gonna work hard and they're gonna you know, you know, when you drop you know ten guys behind the ball, that's what you know, that's what you're gonna get. But I just this Everton side. Um, you know, I think any points to get away from Goodison are gold. And I think they, you know, they got to try and get as many three-pointers at home as they can because, you know, they're, they're going to struggle to score. I think Dice will help them defensively. They'll be more compact. They'll be tough to break down. They'll Hopefully, for their sake, they can squeeze out enough goals to get wins at home because, I mean, I, I just think this says more about Everton than Liverpool in this game. Right. But it's not like we didn't expect this from Everton. This is just what Everton is. And then for Liverpool, like I said, I think you have that little bit of a light there in the midfield. And then, you know, I think Nunez, Gakpo, Salah, it's not perfect. They still look a little off, but this is the start. And, like, I think we talked about, obviously, they still have the Champions League tie against Real Madrid next week. Um, they have an opportunity, if they can get hot, to get top four. They have the quality there. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. Yeah, and I think... I think the positive thing about Liverpool is, yes, this was against Everton. It, it's not kind of, you're not beating superstars here and, and a team that's struggling. But, like, this is a Liverpool team that has struggled for goals. And, and recently this would have been a game, you know, they don't take those chances that they took in this game. And, you know, that breakaway goal, like I say, was um, just such a swift move that we haven't seen lately. They've just been kind of not really doing anything attacking so I think that's kind of the main positive takeaway from them but uh we we can move on we can uh we can look forward uh or you know it was a rinse and repeat match between Leeds and Man United Man United score two goals again uh but this time Leeds don't score any um yeah this is a game that we literally saw what was it about five days before or not even that it was basically like they played twice in the same week for some reason um and yeah this time Man United take care of business um interestingly like away from home you would have thought if there was a, a 2-0 and a 2-2 it would have kind of been in the reverse but um man united i think of uh, locking themselves into the the top four um pretty well with showing some consistency uh rashford is on like an insane scoring record right now uh he just kind of doesn't seem to miss when he gets a chance um and yeah i think if if Man City if if Man City hadn't won today, um, I would have reignited my Man United is still in the title race. Um, but I think Man City getting the three points today um, kind of opened up. What's that? I think it's a five point gap between the two top teams and them and, and Man United now, which I think is is a bit too, too much to ask for them to overtake both those teams. But what are your thoughts on on Man United Leeds? Yeah, so I think you know we know that I like the path that. United are headed on, I think, um, the tactics by uh, Van Hall, uh, not Van Hall, oh my goodness, Ten Hag. Eric the Red, <laughs> Eric the Red, Eric Ten Hag, I think his tactics even in this game were brilliant, but I think, you know, in all truthfulness, United were lucky not to, not even not to, to win, but like not even to just not have lost. I mean, I, I thought Leeds could have scored multiple goals here. Um, really, you know, Jack Bamford, I, I expect better from him. Um, mm-hmm. He had a few opportunities. He couldn't convert. Uh, Nyoto, same thing. McKinney and Adams, I thought were pretty good. Um, you know, both, um, you know, the Rashford goal, 
and then um, the Ganachu goal, who he looks like a, a real class player. And that's kind of what I'm saying in the long term. I, he's another piece to add with Rashford, the two goal scorers. I think there are signs of something really good going on at United. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they actually had two goals chopped off late um, due to VAR. But um, I, I thought, you know, they obviously scored those two late goals and it looks good on the scoreline to win two nothing. This is, I think what we need to say is these are, this is a proper rivalry, right? These, these two, right. these two clubs do not like each other. It's a historical rivalry. Um, going back to when Leeds was in the first tier, but I just, um, I didn't, I wasn't like overwhelmed by this United performance. Um, they got the three points, which is what they need. You know, they, like you mentioned, they solidify their champions league, um, chances for next year. But you know, this, this is this is a this is another performance of a team that I just think is a little bit away, right? They're in the first year of a, of Ten Hag of this rebuild, and I think they're going to get there. I like the path. I'm more confident in them than Newcastle or Chelsea at this point. But you know, this is a result where be happy you won the three points because your performance wasn't that great. Yeah. I- but I, I I think my kind of why I'm so high on United is like you just look at every other team in the league aside from kind of Arsenal and City and even Arsenal of late like no one has been consistent this year right like there's a reason why Chelsea and Liverpool are in ninth and tenth right now which is like unheard of um, and I think it's just Man United have just improved on what they have been in, in recent years and while yes they don't deserve to win every game but that's kind of that was always Alec Ferguson's kind of MO was I don't care if we deserve to win we're gonna win we're gonna get three points and and kind of you know often they they left it late into Fergie time but that's a different conversation for a different day but like I think it's just you look at all the other teams and, and we'll get on to Newcastle next but I just think there's enough there to think yeah, these are definitely one of the best four. Yeah, you could drop it to five, maybe. Um, but definitely one of the four, top four or five teams in the league. And um, yep. I, I think that's kind of where they want to be, like you say, on, on this journey. But yeah, let's talk about Newcastle. Um, so Newcastle, who we have talked a lot about being so strong at the back, uh, the best defensive team uh, in the league. And we've talked about Bournemouth, who can't score. I, don't, I think they failed to score in four of their last five goals uh game sorry and yet here we are Bournemouth won Newcastle won and it's just a continue of the form that Newcastle have been on lately struggling for goals um if they really are in the mix I, I don't think that we've considered them in the mix for the title of late but if they're really in the mix for top four and things like that like this is the games that you have to take care of business you you could have yes you're away from home yes it's probably the longest journey out of all the premiership journeys um but you know they fly these days so that doesn't even matter anymore um to kind of to concede and they conceded first it's just like that's what Newcastle have been good at. Like <laughs> we talked about this the last game when they went one 0 up early and, and then they ended up drawing one one. It's kind of like you expected them to go one 0 up early and, and take care of business. Um, but again, in this game, it's just like not to to rinse and repeat what we've said before. But this is this is what you've said a lot, Joe. Like where are the goals coming from for Newcastle? Right, Almiron obviously gets the goal just before the break, but. I don't think he's reliable to be your number one goal scorer, right? Like he's an attacking midfielder. Um, your thoughts on on Bournemouth Newcastle? Yeah, I think you you kind of said a lot of it. Um, I think look, this is this was only the thirteenth goal all year that Newcastle conceded, 
but the problem is when you when you're not as good going forward when you give up a goal it's much harder to win um and that's just another example here of that um i thought you know i think in in you know olin mentioned this in the in the mail he said he said um so i'm just quoting correctly um He's, you know, he's, you know, in his opinion, their performances have been better of late. In that, um, he doesn't think they're guaranteed to stay up, but they should grab some points. And I did think that this was a, a solid performance for Bournemouth. Um, but, you know, I just, I think they got a long way to go to stay up. You know, when you look at the table, you know, they're currently in a relegation spot, obviously. And I just, I don't see what team below are they that much better than you know of course they could pass Everton they could pass Leeds but I just I, I feel more confident in those other sides than I do in um than I do in um in Bournemouth, in Bournemouth. and I just um look it's not a bad result right you know getting a Newcastle getting a draw at home but you know we're really at the point of the year for Bournemouth where they have to start getting three points at home even against tougher opposition so Right. You know, all in all, I think, you know, both teams are probably slightly disappointed with this result. Yeah, and uh, I just think this was a game that if if you were going to bet on Newcastle keeping a clean sheet, you would have thought it, it would have been this game. Like I say, based on on recent form of a a team that don't score um, at all, nearly. Um, but yeah, I think it's it, it's not enough of a spark for Bournemouth. I think they're still, like you say, one of the worst teams, if not the worst uh, team in the league. But it, it's going to be a struggle. But uh, I think there's a lot of positive. You're playing a top four team, you get a point at home. You kind of like conceptually, you take that right. Um, but yeah, let's move on to uh, where should we go next? Should we go to our friends also on the south coast, Southampton? Uh, we saw the end of uh, of my boy uh, after his comments um, his random comments about Welsh women uh, for no apparent reason I'm guessing he was just trying to uh, kind of deflect uh, from from what his team was has been doing lately um, Nathan Jones you know I didn't realize he was so religious honestly it was just weird like the whole thing was weird I'm gonna cut it I think I'm gonna put that as the intro just that it's, it's little randy when it is just weird um yeah, so not only do they lose at home to Wolves, uh, they're one nil up. They're one nil up at half time, and, and Wolves are already down to ten men after twenty five minutes or so. Um, in a relegation battle, that is a game that you have to go on to win. Like you're in a situation where you're up, you got an extra man. There's no reason why then in the last twenty minutes of the game you can see two goals and you lose to Wolves. Wolves leaving it late, um, but this is this is huge for Wolves. It was obviously the final nail in, in Nathan Jones's his coffin and he's no longer the manager of Southampton. Uh, we might be seeing the return of Jesse Marsh, which which we oh, can get well, into. Well, but apparently it's falling down, through. Yes. Yeah, apparently apparently he wants a lot no, it, it's it's strange why it's breaking down and this just sums up Jesse Marsh is that apparently Southampton want to offer him a long-term deal and he wants a short-term deal which I'm like well why wouldn't you take the long-term deal because they're going to have to pay you out more when they sack you a year from now or even if that which is just kind of strange but um, I'm sure it has to do with the language of the contract and yeah if he gets ass fired how much would he keep and I'm sure it's more complicated than I mean Jesse Marsh you can think of whatever you want but he's not an idiot 
true or it, it, maybe he's just thinking well what have what how much do i have to pay them if i want to buy out and, and go and be the u.s men's national team coach uh, which obviously is his dream job but um yeah this is this this i think was the kind of epitome of what southampton have been this season and kind of where they're going and and to me where they're going is down um and yet you you can't be throwing away a one-nil lead with an extra man at home against a relegation rival uh and, and kind of live to tell the tale uh any any other thoughts on on this game as a whole or the direction that both teams southampton and wolves are going no i mean i think you kind of said it um just really not a um just a terrible result when you look at it right you're up a man you're up a goal for 70 minutes and you you not only do you not get the win at home you lose to another yeah. team that's battling and a team in wolves that's not known for their goal scoring prowess but i think what this game showed me more than anything is like south have to play a very nice 45 minutes they were compact they were sound they were pressing well they just could not keep that up for the full 90 um i don't know if their fitness is enough to par if they're just not talented enough to do it which it's probably some combination of the both but um you know this is just this is like kind of a nail in the coffin type result mm-hmm. you know <laughs> as we talked about right you're up a man for most of the game you're playing another team in the relegation fight a team that's usually hard pressed to find goals and you just lay a complete egg <laughs> and um you know that's this is going to be really difficult to come back from i mean this is a team that you know it's not crazy they're only four points behind leads in 17 so it's not like out of the woods if they want a couple on the trot but it's just another result. Like, where else are we scoring goals besides James Ward Kraus free kicks? <laughs> well, and, can and, we be can we be solid defensively? I just I'm not seeing it. And this loss to Wolves at home is just another death blow. Well, and to put that four points into perspective, though, like this is a team that only has 15 points over the 22 games they played this season. So, like, where are those four points coming from? And that and like and that means that's just to catch up that means the other teams above have to drop points and you catch up that and then you have to match them point for point going forward right so it's just like i just don't see them getting that many more points in general right like what is what is their final points total going to be uh in another what get how many games left 16 games left like i don't know maybe they get another 15 points um but i that means they need to get that means leads only get another 10 points for them to overtake them right like that's not very many right so i think it's just when you look at it and you start looking at the math around it, it just it, it's it's an uphill battle but uh yeah we can we can move forward to to palace versus brighton palace can continue to be uh pretty solid at home i would say uh you know they're not kind of doing anything too flashy uh, i don't think we talk about palace a ton on this podcast um but you know they slowed down a brighton team that we talk about a lot um and kind of just uh managed to get the 1-1 draw uh which you know teams struggle to can contain uh brighton that much and and kind of hold on and you know when brighton went one nil up uh, in in the second half you kind of thought oh that's the kind of the Palace have let this go now, um, unfortunately. But you know, they they answered almost right back in kind of five minutes and and got back to, back into the game. What were your thoughts on on Palace versus Brighton? Well, that was a nice sequence because they had both teams to score and it looked dead, and then all of a sudden <laughs> it wins within five minutes. Um, but yeah, I think um, 
you know, Brighton were the were the better team, right? It just it just comes down to again, can Brighton finish, right? And right. you we've seen Matoma um, finish beautifully, um, and he just you know they didn't they just they weren't as efficient up front. You know, they had a goal called back as of all sides. Sally Marsh finished, um, and then giving up the goal to Tompkins on the way back. You know, I think Palace is just kind of in this kind of state where I'm not very impressed with them. They they haven't won in their last five. They just kind of they're they're not bad, but they're not good. Yeah, I don't really see you know Patrick Fear is a solid manager, but I don't really see like this step going forward. When you look at like a, for instance, a Brighton across the you know the pitch in this game or a Brentford or a Fulham, I don't you know that's this squad is not that good. They're not as bad as some of the relegation fodder now. You know they're not. I mean, they have a nice cushion, but they're not out of the woods, right? I mean, right. they're sitting on 24, uh, 25 points. They're only, you know, seven points ahead. So that's, you know, another three or four bad results. They're right back in the mix. So, yeah. you know, I think I, I would have liked a better performance at home, even against a Brighton. And if you're Brighton, this is another one where the draw kind of doesn't do much. For, you know, I think Palace would be okay with it. But for Brighton, like... If you want to, you know, you're kind of in that Europa League spot. But, you know, there's a real chance you can make a Champions League spot. I mean, you're six points behind Newcastle. We have a game in hand. Spurs, we talked about with all their injuries. You're only four points behind them. You know, Liverpool look good. Chelsea, who knows? Like, you're in the spot where, like, at the very least, get Europa League football, right? And, you know, I think, you know, it's not a bad result for, it's not a bad result for either team, but... It's just it doesn't really do much for either team either. Yeah, I think we need to talk about the VAR decision in this game though. Um, so I, I know you have a bit of a, a rant coming about VAR, so I'm going to do much. But basically, nah, I, 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 don't, I don't need to do that. <laughs> Brighton have a goal ruled out for offside, basically because the guy doing VAR drew the line on the wrong defender. Um, aka human error, which is fine. Humans make mistakes. No, it's not but, fine if you're using technology. Well, well that's what I was about errors. to say. I, it's fine that humans make mistakes, but it's not fine when humans make mistakes with a process that's supposed to remove human error from the game, right? Like that, the VAR is to remove that, right? Like, and you've got one job: draw lines, and you can't draw the right line. Like, it's insane. <laughs> like, it just—I like, don't know how this happens, but um, but you know so, the whole thing with the offsides, right? And we're seeing it in the Champions League and other leagues in Europe. They're using automated offsides, but the Premier League does not want to use that technology because they don't want offsides to come down to the fraction, right? <laughs> because they've been using thicker lines because they don't want goals to be disallowed for centimeters or millimeters. But no, and instead they – so they don't want to use that technology. They rather use the eye, and we have saw countless, countless screw-ups. You know, we saw the one in Arsenal, now we see this one against Brighton, and it's just, um, you know, I'm glad you mentioned this um, because it's just, <laughs> this is another, you know, Arsenal fans are moaning, but, you know, Brighton fans can have the same the same moan. It's like we have the technology, but we don't want to use it because we don't want to be that exact. Like, what is this? Like, yeah, it just boggles the mind. To me, it's like you either use it or you don't. And if you're using it, you use the best technology available to you. Right, and you're calling it to the inch, to the yes. centimeter. Yeah, like because at the end of the day, if that's what you're bringing in, it's like it's like Hawkeye and, and tennis and cricket and things like that. It's like th- this is to yes, who cares if it's his toenail that is offside? It's offside, right? Like that's what you're yeah. doing by doing this. Or you take you go back the old way and say it's you know the the official on the sideline, he's the one that's making the decision, and if he misses it, he misses it, and that's kind of 
the bed we're choosing to lie in but this kind of mix of the two and they still want it to be kind of lenient it's like and then just to get it so egregiously wrong like not even checking the right line like or like the the right defender uh is just insanity like that it, it, it makes no rational sense of of why this is a thing and why this is happening but uh it's comical comical yeah it's uh it's not great but we'll move on to the final game of the week which saw fulham take care of business at home against uh Nottingham forest william getting <sighs> on the score sheet again just uh continuing his fine form uh his kind of move to the southwest london where he obviously played many years as a chelsea player and played very well and he just seems to be kind of rejuvenated in this fulham side and and, and playing really well and fulham as a whole just playing well and we've talked a lot about teams this week will be kind of kicking themselves that they didn't take care of business in certain games that they should have got three points and fulham did that right not the forest they're a struggling team not playing great you're at home you're now kind of pushing for top six or, or kind of even at least top seven uh, and that's the games you need to be winning against these these lesser opposition that are struggling and they really did just just take care of business and uh, kind of rejuvenate Forest kind of being back in the mix at the bottom still got a six point cushion but like you say a couple of results uh, in a couple of weeks and and not finding points for themselves could see them well back in the mix so I think this would be concerning if I was a Forest fan um, but you know, very happy as if you're a Fulham fan and just thinking, yeah, these are the games we should be winning. We are a top half of the table team. We're pushing for Europe. Uh, let's take care of business, and we did. Uh, much to say about Fulham versus Forest. No, I didn't. I didn't really watch it to be honest with you. I, I, I read like a two-minute recap. I watched like the two-minute highlights of the goals. Williams' goal was nice. Um, you know, he's been good. I think Williams kind of been the. Um, underdog of the year in the sense of oh he's still alive he's still playing well <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah I didn't really I didn't watch much of this at all um, but you know for Forrest like it's not the end of the world they've won three of their past four before this you know game away at Fulham Fulham's a tough opponent so you know I don't you know Fulham were clearly you know based on the stats and that's really what I'm basing it off are clearly the better team so um, you know that's you know like I said I didn't watch it so I don't want to talk about it too much but yeah. Um, too many 10 o'clock fixtures this week. You know, it's tough yeah. to watch them all at once. But, you know, I think Fulham took care of business, so they should be pleased. Yeah. And uh, this week we saw a couple of other Champions League games. We saw PSG kind of look a little lifeless at home. Uh, they got their stars back. The three the three big names of PSG, Neymar, Messi, and Mbappe, had all been kind of... Actually, I'm not sure if Neymar had. At least... Mbappe and Messi had been off injured, but Messi came back and started. Mbappe came off the bench, um, thought he'd scored, but it got struck off by VAR. Uh, Munich uh, go into Paris and and take a victory. Um, I'm not going to go down the World War connotations with talking about that, but anyway, um, yeah, they good, uh, good. <laughs> we'll, we'll keep it we'll keep it above board. But they, uh, I thought Munich looked good in this game. Um, I don't think it was the most exciting game. I think uh, people were probably expecting a lot more goals uh, when you look at these two teams. Um, but I thought Munich really were playing on the ascendancy. Like it looked like if if you didn't know that they were playing in Paris, you would have thought the Munich were the home team, kind of the way they set up and the way they were playing. Um, did you watch much of this game at all? Yeah, yeah. So I watched all of it. Um... On a second screen, as I was watching, uh, you know the the mentalness and and uh, <laughs> Milan at the Sincero. But um, yeah, I think you know. I mean, um, Munich were okay, but I, I thought this was more just 
just just PSG were just terrible. Uh, Messi <laughs> looks out to launch. Neymar looks even worse. Uh, like Messi, at least you think he has an excuse, but you know Mbappe came on and it was like it took him a little while to get going. I think he was still uncomfortable with his injury, but once mm-hmm. he hit, like you know, he almost had the goal. It was just offside. I mean. This team is so dependent on Mbappe. Like you would think, with all these stars, Neymar, Messi, but it's just all Mbappe. He is the difference maker. And I think the problem with all three of them, and I mean, they only had played two of them to start. And you know, when they brought Mbappe on, um, like there's just not, there's just no togetherness in the squad. Like when Messi and Neymar are out there, they did almost nothing offensively, and they didn't, they don't do anything defensively so munich just had this easy possession and were just able to to dominate the game in the midfield because they just had numbers right <laughs> you know nobody you know the two big forwards on psg were not tracking back and mbappe doesn't either but he's so good scoring that like you know on the counter attack that it, there's like a real threat there so i mean i just i mean i don't in my opinion the only way PSG saves this as if Mbappe is close to 100% in Munich and he just has a great game finishing on the counter because I just don't see how else they're going to score. Um, it's just, yeah. it's just, it's just a galactical squad that has no, that has no, you know, girth to it. Yeah. I think the fascinating thing about PSG to me is like, this has been kind of a work in progress for some time now since they got the foreign investment that kind of have just decided to plug a ton of money into it and it's not working and like but they don't seem to be trying to pivot like if it was me and like Mbappe seems to be pretty committed to the team I think he wants to stay in France he wants to stay in Paris like you should be building your team around him but like to play him with with Messi and Neymar like it just doesn't make sense they're effectively three of the same player and Mbappe's just in his prime right now and the best one of all of them um and you can't win like you can win the French league with those players because the French league you know isn't the most deep league in in Europe and you know there's not a ton of competition there and you know we've seen them lose recently so it's not to say all the teams are bad but I think they get by domestically but similar to City and, and, and kind of the opinions there is like, this isn't a true team until they win the Champions League. And both teams are pretty similar with kind of their approach and, and not being able to kind of get over that hurdle and, and get the, the desired result of like what their investment has been for and, and do it on the European stage. And I think this was just highlighted again in contrast to, to a Bayern team, which, yes, again, you can argue with them how competitive is the German league? I think it's a bit more competitive this year than it has been in some time. And, you know, there's been the Dortmunds kind of coming up and, and, and competing, but Bayern have always been there and thereabouts. But, like, they've also always been able to translate that to the Euro- the European game and, yep. you know, win the, win the big one and take care of business there and translate their game that even, yes, they're playing a German team that you may never have heard of on, on the weekend and then they're going into Paris and taking care of business and winning. So um, I think uh, they're always to watch and the one on the periphery of being able to win any Champions League in any year. Uh, the other one was uh, they went to Belgium, Club Rouge taking on Benfica. Benfica going in, taking the victory. Uh, full disclaimer, I, I have not seen any of this game yet. I was watching the, the City and, and Chelsea games, uh, so kind of wasn't paying attention to this, kind of tracking the score, but haven't seen any of it. I don't know if, Joe, if you, you've seen any of this game, but uh, Benfica basically yeah. just taking care of business. Yeah, I saw a decent amount. Uh, I had three screens going. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, Bruges didn't really offer much, honestly. Um, this is just a bit above their level, I think. Uh, Benfica were solid. They, they, they converted a penalty in the first half. Uh, they scored their second goal late, which kind of really... Um, kind I don't want to say puts it on ice, but gives Benfica a great shot at advancing up to, to going to the, the Stadio de Luge um, on the return leg. I think they're in a good situation. Um, and look, you know, they had, you know, obviously we, we've seen some of their transfer activity. Um, they lost, you know, Emmy Martinez to Chelsea, um, but they didn't really drop a beat. Now, this is Club Bruges. When they play a harder opposition, it's going to be more difficult. But, look, you take a good advantage of the draw. Who knows? They could get Milano's Spurs, and they could very well be in the semifinal. I mean, yeah. it's not unrealistic. So, it's a good young squad. They play, you know, solid football. And just because you're from, a, you know, Portugal, which isn't one of the, you know, deemed as one of the top five leagues, it doesn't mean they couldn't make a huge run in this competition. Oh, for sure. For sure. Uh, that wraps up uh, all the games we saw. Should we get into winners and losers? Do we want to do Olin's uh, loser of the month or whatever it is first, or do we want to do ours first? Yeah, well, first, we'll, we'll, yes, his loser of the month. Uh, where, where do you think we're going? We're going with an uh, Irishman. I, I, Jim he, Goodwin. Yeah, he texts me. I have no idea who he is. So I'm, I'm, I'm anticipating where this is going. I have no clue. So. Well, he's from Waterford, which I'm assuming is some part of Ireland. I don't know. Um, <laughs> you don't know? I don't know. I don't know what He told me that he had a terrible ten days. That's all. That's all the context that I have. Uh, Where is Waterford? He's definitely Irish. I did Google him quickly. No, no, he's Irish. I just want to make sure Waterford's in Irish. Uh, well, yep, yeah, it's a city in Ireland. Perfect. All right, that's what I assume. So, this poor bloke, Jim Goodwin, <laughs> three losses on the trot. He is the manager of Aberdeen. Uh, so the he's famous... in Scotland, an Irishman in Scotland. Yes, you know, the famous Sir Alex Ferguson's roots. Right. Uh, so he lost the Hearts 5 0. Was it, you know, <laughs> expected to be a competitive Scottish Premier League tie? He he loses 5 0. He's, you know, Goodrich, I guess, after post game says he's humiliated and embarrassment. So what are you expecting? We're going to get a good response. Well, guess what? In the Scottish Cup, they lose to Darville, which is a, which is a semi pro team. <laughs> and people describe have described it as the biggest upset in the Scottish Cup ever. So that's not good. You know, <laughs> I'm going to go on a limb and say that's not good, losing to a semi-pro side. And then, you know, they decide to uh, return humiliated and defeated to Edinburgh. And they decide to lose 6-0 to Ibs, um, who leapfrogged them in the table. And you're not going to be surprised by this, but Goodwin was sacked. So... Um, you know, I, this wasn't on my uh, this wasn't on my radar, um, but uh, I'm glad Olin brought it up because uh, that does quite... seem like a horrific month. Yeah, I think yeah, I think he summarized ten, it. It was ten, ten days. days. Even, yeah, it's not even a month. He calls him the loser of the month, but um, yeah, yeah, that's pretty doom and gloom. Uh, who did he have as his winner of the week? Michael Carrick, another oh, yeah. you know former Manchester United man. Uh, I remember so many people saying, why doesn't he play in the English squad? Why doesn't he play in the English squad? Yeah. I don't know. I can't answer that for you. But, uh, yep, so he's... Um, Manager of Middlesbrough right now, isn't he? Yep, and they yeah. won away at Sheffield, which is a huge win. Yeah. Uh, Owen says he's doing an immense job. And uh, they were in relegation uh, battle when he took over. And now they have, you know, an outside chance of making the playoffs and 
you know, obviously Owen's a supporter of West Brian. We'll get him on at some point here soon to, to delve into the championship when things get a little bit quiet. But, um, yeah, I mean, uh, I think those are two solid choices, especially um, the man from Aberdeen. Yeah, we should, uh, we should track where he ends up managing next. Maybe he'll end up with the Southampton job. Who knows? <laughs> well, there seems to be a lot of retread. So, I mean, Aberdeen's, I mean, look, they're only seventh in the table. I mean, you know, it's not the, they actually won. They actually won their most recent game. So they must was, be on the upswing. I, I'm assuming that's like new manager syndrome, though. That was after, after he was dismissed. Uh, who was your winner of the week, Joe? I'm going to go with the winner or the loser. Uh, whichever one you want to go first. Uh, um, my winner of the week. Uh, let's go, loser. I, I want to start on the uh, on the downside here. <laughs> my loser of the week is everybody in the championship. Why? <laughs> because he's back. He's back again. He will never die. Neil Warnock has <laughs> taken the helm of Huddersfield Town. Can he do the impossible? Can he keep them up? Do you think or is he, he just going to do what he does at every club? Can you? Do you think he can do it? I, I don't doubt anyone, uh, to be honest, with that role. But uh, he, uh, yeah, I I think he probably will. Uh, there's a reason oh, why these teams keep paying him, like, I guess. Uh, yeah. 23rd out of 24. Uh, the thing at 28 points. There are a few points behind Rotherham and 20th, which would keep them up, you know. I don't know what it says, but when you're when you're Huddersfield, then your best option is to, uh, you know, call up. Uh, I think he must be a TV pundit now. Neil Warnock was 74. <laughs> you're digging well, deep, so. Yeah, but uh, this is, and I think I was texting you this around the Jesse Marsh rumors going back to Southampton, and it kind of did come to fruition, and maybe it's falling through now. But it's like, like this guy has literally just failed uh, <laughs> at your relegation rivals, and you want to bring him in, like. It's just weird to me. There just seems to be like every team must, has the same Rolodex of coaches and they just go on a little merry-go-round and kind of trade teams. And, you know, you have these relegation battle specialists who, yeah, they may keep them up and then they get kind of fired the next year because they lose their first 10 games of the season or something. Like It's just it's just an interesting thing and it just doesn't seem to be really make sense. But uh, my losers of the week, I'm going to go with Valencia in Spain. Uh, it's a team that, you know, when I was growing up, they were one of the European big teams uh, coming out of Spain into the European comp- competitions. Obviously, Rafa Benitez came from there uh, to go to Liverpool uh, after we- winning the UEFA Cup for Valencia. Uh, I think their spiral began when they hired Gary Neville randomly at ma- as manager, and we all know that that didn't end up too well. But now they're kind of facing a bit of a relegation battle, uh, and it's just a classic case of one of these big teams just falling apart and kind of going into free fall. I think they lost again at the weekend and they're just struggling to find results and they fired Gattuso, uh, you know, the strong Italian midfielder uh, who had great success at AC Milan, but uh, they fired him at the end of January and I don't even know that that's kind of changed anything and, and yeah, Valencia are my losers. How about your winner, Joe? My winner is someone you've probably never heard of. <laughs> Jakob Yanto. Okay. Czech Republic. He is a he plays for Spartak Prague, and he becomes, I think, the most cur- currently the most recognizable footballer to come out as gay. And 
obviously we know just by pure math there's there's so many not so many but there's there's a number of gay athletes who obviously for societal reasons don't feel comfortable coming out um but uh Jakob did come out um recently over the weekend um in great news the club firmly supported him i think the fans seem to be behind him and it's just an important milestone you know it's it's, I mean, it's it's kind of annoying that we still have to talk about, you know, this being a big deal. But, I mean, right. we saw it in the NFL with Michael Sam. He came out and then, you know, because a huge deal. And, you know, you just hope over time this becomes less and less important. People become more and more comfortable um, right. just in their own shoes. And, you know, society um, will treat them properly as they should. So um, I think, you know, anytime an athlete feels comfortable coming out, I think um, – that's a positive no for sure and like it's uh it's some time ago now that that justin fashion in in england came out as gay and unfortunately um the english game at that time and i think even now probably still um wasn't so welcoming or kind of uh embrace it as much as maybe we do these days which we should be doing these days and unfortunately ended up taking his own life because of everything he went through and it's kind of it's sad that even off the back of that we're still kind of like you say it's it's great that he did it but like it, it shouldn't even be a story like this this it just should be like yeah he's gay that's that it's like everyone's who they are right like and it's kind of hopefully we get to that point and uh sorry to kind of put a dampener on that with that but it's uh it's kind of a nod to where football is and and why it is still such a big deal because of these cases in in the, in the past of, of how it came out but um yeah my winner i've given it to to napoli uh i am crowning them Serie A champions. Oh uh you can all come after me when they go on free for all but if we want to talk free for all every other team in the italian league right now is on free for all uh into drop points of the weekend i think they were the only team that i thought could be competitive um but they dropped points and yeah, Napoli, uh, I think it's about 15 points clear at the top of the table now. Juventus obviously had their points deducted. AC Milan have been just terrible in the league ever since they just randomly gave up two goals to Roma towards the end of the game. Um, and I just think, yeah, I will happily crown Napoli as champions right now. And you can all come after me if they <laughs> if that doesn't happen. Um, I do want to bring something else up because I didn't know whether to put it as a winner or a loser. And Joe, I want to get your opinion on this. Uh, I don't know if you saw it. You probably didn't based on your uh, exposure to the Scottish League that we've already discussed. But the Scottish Cup, occurred this weekend rangers beat Partick thistle 3-2 uh it was one all and i think a player got injured oh, so, yeah, yeah. so Partick thistle are going to be giving the ball back uh to rangers rangers i can't remember who it was i think it was tillman uh, mm-hmm. he, he decided instead of just letting the, the Partick defender kick it to him, he just went and tackled him. So basically was through one-on-one uh, with the keeper and scored, uh, which obviously all the Partick players kind of kicked off because the defender wasn't expecting it. He was just about to basically boot it back to Rangers. So what did Rangers do? They allowed Partick Thistle to score. Um, is this kind of good sportsmanship? Is this terrible? Should you ever be doing this? Um what are your thoughts, Joe, on allowing another team to score uh, based off the oh. back of kind of a mistake that you've made? Yeah, I think in this situation, it's the only thing you can do. I mean, we've seen famously, um, I forget who it was. I think it was might have been the FA Cup. I forget who it was, but there was a similar situation to this. And 
the team that won decided to have a replay because they felt so unjust in winning. So I think, um, you know, I think, you know, as, as weird as it looks, I think that's the only, you know, there's a there's a clear entrenched um, system, and that's you know how you you know deal with injuries or whatnot. And I don't think for any reason that that should be um, abridged upon. So I think you know. It, the right thing was done. Yeah, and and that was my main thoughts around it. It was like, well, the Rangers players should just shouldn't have done it in the first place. Like, th- why are players still doing these stupid things where they then have to like give up a goal? Like, this is not something new. Like, it's been the kind of expected thing to do for years and years. You give it back. Like, why is he doing that? And uh, yeah, but I wasn't sure if it was like a winner or a loser, or I just thought it was it was worth mentioning because it's it's not something we see all the time. But uh, Joe, that pretty much wraps things up. Anything anything else you want to discuss before we sign off for the night? No, I think I'm good. I think uh, it's been a fun week of football, and uh, let the madness continue. Yeah, and we'll be back again next week. Maybe similar schedule, because obviously the Champions League is consecutive weeks now for a bit of time, so maybe we'll try and, and tie in those games um, as we Liverpool-Real Madrid, well. I mean, that should be fun. Yeah, I guess. It'll be fun for someone. <laughs> we'll, see. we'll see which Liverpool shows up. Uh, but my optimism is is kind of very limited at the moment but hopefully the, the Everton game was signs of things to come but thank you Joe it's been a pleasure as always uh, don't forget to hit subscribe follow us on Twitter at wrongfootpod check out our website wrongfootpodcast.com and Joe if they want to email in they're winners of the month year whatever you want to do decade lifetime losers, losers of the lifetime millennium <laughs> ultimate loser of the history of football uh, where can they email wow. in to get in touch the wrong foot podcast at gmail.com again that is the wrong foot podcast at gmail.com perfect thanks joe uh have a great night and i'll speak to you soon always a pleasure <laughs>